0: Say goodbye to them. You start traveling towards the capital, towards the war zone. You armed, even though you you hardly ever even shot in your life.
1: This is Voices of Ukraine, a podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. Every week, we share stories of lives from our community that have been upended by Russia's war on Ukraine. I'm Masha Udensova Brenner. The voice you just heard is our alum, Peter Zalmayev. We spoke over WhatsApp on March 3rd, just one week after Russia invaded. Hi, Mash. How's it going?
0: Well, you know, under the circumstances, trying to stay safe.
1: Can you tell me about what's going on? Where are you staying right now?
0: Well, I'm out, right outside of Kiev. We were intending to get back into the capital after we evacuated. Uh, I'm, I'm traveling with a colleague, my uh, co-host of the TV show, that we, we've we been doing for the past four years. We evacuated our families together to uh, Western Ukraine and have been like slowly making our way towards the capital over the last three days. And so we're like camped out. In a town nearby, I don't want to disclose the location.
1: I've known Peter for a long time. He graduated from SIPA, Columbia's School of International and Public Affairs, back in 2008. But it felt like he never quite left Columbia. He continued showing up to Harriman events, almost always in a three-piece suit, pitched articles to Harriman magazine, diligently sent us his media appearances, Peter is originally from Donetsk, a predominantly Russian-speaking city in eastern Ukraine's Donbass region. He grew up speaking Russian, and he says he didn't have much of a Ukrainian identity. And even though he's ethnically Jewish, he didn't have much of a Jewish identity either. After the Soviet Union collapsed, he got baptized and moved to the U.S. in the mid-90s to attend Divinity School in Tennessee. He worked as a Protestant preacher for a while, but it didn't stick. He said he was drawn back to his secular Jewish roots and decided to reclaim his cultural heritage. He also became interested in international affairs. That's how he ended up at Colombia. Meanwhile, Peter's parents stayed in Donetsk. In 2014, after Russia annexed Crimea and invaded Donbass, Peter's parents found themselves in a war zone. And he had to move them out, first to Kiev and eventually to Israel. By this point, Peter had U.S. citizenship, but he started returning to Ukraine frequently, and in 2016, he decided to move to Kiev. He lived in the city center with his wife and two small children, and co-hosted a weekly political talk show on Pryamly Channel, which, until recently, belonged to former Ukrainian president and chocolate magnate Petro Poroshenko. The morning Russia invaded Ukraine, he was home, still asleep.
0: I like to sleep with uh, earplugs in. So I didn't hear any explosions, even though by then there had been probably like a dozen already.
1: Peter lives in the center of Cave, and the first explosions were in the city's outskirts. What woke him were the vibrations of his phone, a call from a Ukrainian-American friend in New York who reached him on Facebook Messenger.
0: He knows that I do a lot of media commentary, and so he's advising me on some talking points. And then I'm like, Why are you telling me all this? It was 6.30 in the morning. Uh, And then he tells me, what? you You didn't know there's been 13 explosions around Kiev.
1: Like all U.S. citizens, Peter had been getting emails from the U.S. embassy advising him to leave before Russia invaded. But like many Ukrainians, he hadn't believed Russia would actually do it.
0: I'm telling you, no one believed it was coming. You get set in your routine and you're in denial... And I had actually heard in more dire intelligence, even from some Ukrainians, that that was the night it might happen. But we, we just kept postponing the war, so to speak. Well, the war had other plans.
1: Peter calls that first morning the roughest awakening he's ever had.
0: It's a moment I don't want to relive. In some ways, what's happening now, reports of entire residential beings being blown to bits, is kind of normal. Because it now happens a dozen times a day. But that moment is probably the scariest of all.
1: When the attacks started, Peter had assumed that Russia would focus on strategic targets. He couldn't fathom that civilians in Kiev would be affected. So instead of running for the bomb shelters when they heard the air raid sirens, Peter and his family spent the day in a windowless study in their apartment.
0: I had a few media interviews. I was uh, speaking on Doge, Rain TV. I was on Al Jazeera. And basically, I would turn my laptop while I was on Skype with them live, and I would just show them the setup, all of us kind of cowering in, in this little space.
1: That night, Peter got a warning from a friend of a friend in the Ukrainian security services that he may be in danger. Days before, U.S. intelligence had reported that the Kremlin would be targeting individual Ukrainians.
0: The U.S. claims Russia has a list of Ukrainians, to be killed or sent to camps following a military occupation. And it's said to include journalists, activists, as well as ethnic and religious minorities.
1: Peter was told there was a good chance he might be on that list.
0: That I may be yes, someone who's been very outspoken and probably viewed as an American agent of influence in Ukraine, especially by the Russians, considering my frequent media appearances, my advocacy of you know, a liberal democracy in Ukraine and my being an American citizen. I don't want to inflate my importance. Uh, you know, it's likely that I wasn't on that list, but we have to understand that with this fog of war, the panic sets in.
1: Peter and his wife packed up their family and got into a friend's SUV to drive west. And so, you know, off we went, covering
0: a few hundred miles. It took us about 30 hours.
1: 30 hours to get to Western Ukraine. A drive that should have taken about eight.
0: The journey was exhausting, draining, surreal, and inspirational at the same time.
1: Travel was stop and go, stop and go, with bottlenecks along the entire route. There was nowhere to stay, and they spent the night outside a hotel in a little town in western Ukraine. The owners were gracious.
0: They couldn't check us in, there were the rooms, but they served us hot tea and snacks in the lobby.
1: Peter and his family slept in the car that first night. Then hit the road again.
0: What was very striking, passing, you know, through every little town we passed, seeing this incredible turning out of old men and, and young boys and women and girls, and putting up roadblocks, pulling out and dusting off their old rifles, getting organized in defense of their little towns. It was just a sense of common purpose. This kind of incredible watershed moment that just brings everyone together. This felt like the first moment of such purpose and unity since the 1940s, since World War II.
1: And you mentioned you have two little kids. How old are they? And how were they reacting to all this?
0: I had two boys. One is five and the other is two and a half.
1: Both children were born after Russia's annexation of Crimea and invasion of Donbass. Peter's wife, Olga, had acclimated them to the idea of war by reading them children's books about it.
0: Olga actually told my oldest one, Yakov, that this is war, you know, obviously with no details, with no pictures, nothing. So we were able to talk to the oldest one and and mention war.
1: At the end of the 30-hour road trip, the children were rowdy and tearful, Peter says. And then he had to leave them in the relative safety of western Ukraine so he could return to cave.
0: And now that they've been with the mom, we're separated now, obviously I'm here and they're there. She tells me they're extremely difficult. They cry all the time. So I guess the kids sort of soak it up around them. Even if adults try to hide it from them, they feel it. They feel that whatever's happening is not normal and it affects them. It makes for a more stressful situation overall.
1: Mm And once you got them to Western Ukraine, how long did you spend there with them?
0: Well, I first went to one town in Drohobych. I can say it's a, a town uh, which has very special meaning to me. It's the birthplace of Bruno Schulz, my uh, favorite writer from there, Galician-Polish uh, Jew who wrote in you know the 1930s and 40s. So we stayed there.
1: From there, they went on to a town in the Carpathians, and Peter spent a few days with his family before heading back toward the capital. And what was it like saying goodbye to your family?
0: I mean, we're living history now, this bloody, ridiculous history. Your reality gets juxtaposed with this. You know, you know, an overlap with the imagery from books and movies. Will this be the, the, the parting, you know, goodbye? Will, will this be the last moment? You see them, obviously, it goes through your head.
1: And why did you decide to go back?
0: We have rock stars in Ukraine, very famous people who have very publicly taken up arms. They've joined the territorial defense units, and so there's a lot of peer pressure, and I mean it in a, in a good way. You just kind of pull towards your comrades. Once again, you united with this idea of defending the capital. It's a do-or-die moment. And,
1: you know, for me, it's been a kind of a personal journey. I've reclaimed Ukraine for myself. Peter says the events in Ukraine over the past seven years have transformed him.
0: I did not have much of a Ukrainian identity per se, but since 2014, the the first Russian war against Ukraine, or the start of the war that never really ended since then, I've had a journey of self-discovery as a Ukrainian. I've learned Ukrainian. I've started doing my TV shows in Ukrainian, which was no easy undertaking.
1: Now, if it comes to it, Peter says he's ready to fight for Ukraine. When he drove back toward the capital with his two friends, both of them journalists, they packed ammunition just in case. Peter says that one of the friends had a gun license and that the arms were gifted to him by the Ukrainian government. When we spoke in those early days of the war, Peter was staying at a hotel with them about an hour outside of Kiev, working to start up a YouTube channel aimed at getting the truth about the war in Ukraine To Russian speakers caught behind Putin's information blockade. By that time, President Zelensky had already announced that all Ukrainian men between the ages of 18 and 60 have to register with the military. As a U.S. citizen, Peter has the choice not to register to fight. He's not sure what he'll do yet, whether he'll register or if he'll keep staying in Ukraine as a member of the media. But for him, leaving Ukraine wasn't an option.
0: I just felt like I would be abandoning this idea of of Ukraine and my own commitment if I went in the opposite direction.
1: When Peter and I spoke, it was already evening where he was, about 8 o'clock. He was getting tired. The lack of sleep was wearing him down. Before letting him go, I asked him to describe his
0: surroundings.
1: Where have you been sitting or standing this whole time that we were talking? I'm just walking around. This hotel room, my, my friends are sitting on the couch in there. They've
0: already shushed me a few times because I'm very expressive and I'm loud and they're, they're getting annoyed with me. <laughs> it's, been a, a, it's been a true roller coaster of emotions like, that we just bounce off each other, you know.
1: The roller coaster sensation is fed by media accounts that can be wildly different from each other.
0: There are moments of elation when you're reading Ukrainian press, you know, and it seems like Ukrainians are winning but then you realize they're fighting against the second largest army in the world. And it's probably ridiculous to assume that there'll be a victory like that. And then you read the New York Times and it's all of a sudden it's much more guarded account of what's happening on the ground. And then you you sort of get in this dark hole of imagining the worst scenarios, waking up in the middle of the night, very short split second before you realize, no, this has not been a nightmare. This is for real.
1: Peter, we're all thinking of you.
0: Thank you for reaching out, Marcia. A pleasure speaking with you.
1: Since I spoke with Peter in early March, he'd launched that YouTube channel. It's called Outre Febrella, February Morning. And guests have ranged from Russian opposition figures living abroad, like former chess player and political activist Gary Kasparov, and author Mikhail Shushkin, to Ukraine's former Minister of Foreign Affairs, Pavel Klimkin. I'll include a link to the channel in our show notes. In early April, Russian forces retreated from cave, and Peter was able to travel west to reunite with his family for a weekend, after being separated from them for five weeks. He says it was striking to see how much the kids had grown during their five weeks apart, that he feels like he's missing a crucial part of their childhoods. He's back near cave now and doesn't know when he'll see his family again, when they'll be reunited for good, or when this war will finally end. For now, he'll keep running the YouTube channel and hope that people in Russia will hear it, will learn the truth about the war. If you're looking for ways to support the people of Ukraine, please consider donating to razom4ukraine.org. That's R A Z O M forukraine.org It was founded in 2014 in the wake of Ukraine's revolution of dignity by Dora Chomiak, who's on the Harriman Institute's National Advisory Council. The organization has been working directly with volunteers in Ukraine to provide emergency relief where it's needed most. Thank you for listening to Voices of Ukraine from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. I'm Masha Udensova brenner This episode was written and produced by me and edited by Ann Cooper. The music in the series is by Ivan Nebesny, who's currently in Lviv. We wish him, Peter, and all the people of Ukraine safety and strength. Cover art by Victoria Tentler-Krylov. A huge thank you to Jordan Waller, Marko Andrejcik, and Nathan Schiller for their feedback on the episode. If you like the show, please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review.